Well, we're in the midst of a short four-week series that we've entitled Essentials, and we're talking about four different items that are essential for us to grow in our faith, for us to mature. Now, there are other things we could have included in this series, but there are four things that we picked out. Last week, you heard about praying, that we all need to pray. This morning, we're going to talk about God's Word. Uh, Then we're going to talk about the assembling together of the saints, that we are not to forsake that. And then we'll talk about serving using the gifts that God has given us. But this morning, we're going to talk about the Word of God. So if you would take your Bibles, your electronic devices, the Pew Bible in front of you, and join me in 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. We will also have the passage up on the screen if you want to follow along there. So follow along with me, beginning with verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now, before we jump into the passage, let's take a moment and pray together this morning. And I encourage you, even as I am praying, when we say that we have congregational uh, prayer together, it shouldn't be that I'm just praying and you're listening. I'm leading us in prayer so that as I am praying, you should be praying as well. And you can pray about the topics that we're praying about as we are as we are presenting to God this congregation, praying and dependent on Him. So let's go to prayer now. Father, first of all, this morning, I want to thank you for your word that you have given to us. Thank you for your guidance. Father, you've placed the Spirit of God within us and given us your written word. And Father, we just thank you that we have that guidance in our life. We thank you for the salvation that we have. We're thankful for those who came to us and shared with us the gospel. And through that gospel, we have been saved when we put our faith and trust in you. Father, as we gather here together as a body, we come in with many different perspectives and many different needs. Father, We want to pray this morning for those who are grieving. They've lost loved ones. And in many cases, we know where those loved ones are, that they are in your presence. And so though we sorrow, we do not sorrow as those who have no hope. So, Father, we would pray for those who are grieving that your Holy Spirit, who is the Comforter, 
would comfort them. Father, we pray for those that as we gather here, they're battling sickness or disease, or they have those close to them, or family members who are battling with sickness. You are the great physician, and so we call upon you to reach down and to touch those who are your children as they struggle, Lord. We ask that you will strengthen them, encourage them, come alongside them physically, emotionally, spiritually, Lord. And Father, we pray this morning for those in our midst who are new to the faith in Jesus Christ, those who are seeking to follow you. We pray that they might mature in their faith. We pray, Father, that you will be with them. We know that they are new creatures in Christ. The new has come, the old is gone. And we just pray that your spirit will guide them and direct them. And overall, we pray for this body that we might be faithful and true to you, that we might mature in our faith, that we might stay true until Jesus comes. For this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I hold in my hand this morning a Bible. It was the Bible that my father-in-law, who went home to be with the Lord on Easter Sunday, it is the Bible that he used. After he came to know Jesus Christ as Savior, as long as he was able, you would find him every morning with a pot of coffee and his Bible opened. And he would read and study the Word of God. When we were on vacation and the whole family was together, he was always the first one up. Uh, he grew up on a farm. Now, why people feel they need to get up at 5 a.m. when they don't have to, I've never quite figured that one out. Uh, but uh, he did throughout his life. And he would read and study his Bible. In the front of his Bible, and I'm not going to read it all, I just want to read a short paragraph that he typed there. This book contains the mind of God, the state of man, the way of salvation, the doom of sinners, and the happiness of believers. So why every day would he be in this book? He was there because he wanted to be an individual that was equipped by God. He wanted to be an individual that was mature in his faith, and he understood Without the reading and the studying of this book, it is impossible for us to mature as believers in Christ. 
Now, I hope within our hearts here this morning is a desire for all of us to be more like God, for all of us to mature within our faith. But if we do not read and study the Word of God, that is not going to happen. So this morning, we are going to look at this passage of Scripture before us, and we are going to talk about all the benefits that comes from the Word of God. From the passage that we read and from other passages in the Scriptures, we find the doctrine that is called the sufficiency of the Scriptures. And literally what it means is the Scripture is sufficient, that it is the only inspired, inerrant, therefore final authorities for Christians, for faith, and for godliness. And God has a purpose for his word. In Isaiah chapter 55, in verses 10 to 11, Isaiah writes this, for as the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. The word of God as it's shared, as it's preached, as it's read, will not return to God void or empty. God has a purpose for his word, and heaven and earth may pass away. His word is not going to pass away, and it will always, it will always accomplish its purpose. And it is so important for us to read and to follow this word. As we look at verse 16, where it opens with saying, all scripture is breathed out. Now, I am not going to take the time this morning to really develop the idea of the word of God being breathed out. Uh, I would not get to the rest of the passage. But I want you to know what we are being taught is that the Word of God was actually came from God and it was breathed out. It's the breath of God that brought the Scriptures into existence. Peter would tell us, holy men of God wrote as they were moved by the Spirit of God. They were controlled. This book comes directly from God. And as Paul talks about the Holy Scripture, the word translated Scripture is used 51 times in the New Testament. And every single time it is used, guess what it refers to? Either a part of or the complete Bible. It's used to refer to a passage in the Old Testament. It's used to refer to the Old Testament in its entirety. 
Sometimes it's used for a particular passage in the New Testament. Other times it's used for the entire New Testament. As Paul is writing, and he's writing about the year 66, 67 A.D., at that point in time, 18 to 19 of the New Testament 27 books had been written. So when Paul says all Scripture... He's talking about the entire Old Testament. He's also talking about parts of the New Testament that were already written and were being recognized as scriptures by the believers in their churches. And he also knows that he's writing under the inspiration of the Spirit of God. So he's referring to his own books as well. All of Scripture from Genesis to the book of Revelation, is inspired, is breathed out by God. Now, what's it, what's it good for? What's it good for? And that's what we want to talk about in depth here this morning. First of all, we're told in verse 15 that it makes us wise for salvation. Look at it in your Bible. And how from childhood, he's talking to Timothy, you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. That word that's translated able there, speaking about what the Bible is able to, you, to do, it refers to power, of the inherent power that is within the Word of God. And it is used in the present tense pointing to the continuous and abiding power of the Word of God. In other words, what he's saying is the Scriptures had the power for Timothy to be saved. The Scriptures had the power for the Apostle Paul to be saved. The Scriptures have the power all the way down to today and continuing forward. Through the Scriptures comes the power to be saved. That's why Paul will write in Romans chapter 10, verse 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through, what's it say? The Word of Christ. John chapter 5, verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. And the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 will talk about the gospel. So from the word of God, he's talking about what we must believe in order to to be saved. 1 Corinthians 15, 1-5 says this, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, 
that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scripture, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. See how Paul stresses the Scripture? Christ did this according to the Scriptures. And if you hear the message of salvation, hear the gospel, and if you believe it, you are saved. See, the Word of God makes us wise for salvation. So let me ask you a very personal question right now. Very pointed question. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you put your faith and trust in Him? The Word of God declares for us that if we believe And we guess, believe what? Believe what the Scriptures reveal to us. Believe that Christ died, he was buried, and he rose again. If you believe that, and how do we know about it? From the Scriptures that have been given to us. If you believe that, you are saved. But if you do not believe that, you stand underneath the condemnation of God. Now listen. Just coming here to church is not going to save you. Some people think, well, as long as I go to church, it really doesn't matter what I believe or what I don't believe. It does matter. It matters as to what the Word of God says. Getting baptized, as important as baptism is, as a sign that we have believed in Jesus, but baptizing will not save you. You can be dunked a hundred times. There's no power in the water. Some will tell you that if you were sprinkled as a, a baby in their church beliefs, that that removes the sin from you and that guarantees that you're going to go to heaven. Listen, a baby can't believe in Christ. Baptism is a sign. It's believer's baptism of what has happened to us. But baptism on itself is not going to save you. There are no good works you can do that are going to save you. The Bible actually tells us that all of our good works are like filthy rags before a holy and righteous God. The Bible informs us if we break one of the commandments, we're guilty of breaking them all. But the Word of God presents to us very clearly that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And so I just ask you this morning, do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you admitted you're a sinner Have you turned from your sin, and have you turned to Christ? Have you believed that Christ died, was buried, and he rose again? And I'm not talking about just intellectual assent. I'm talking about a belief that has action to it. You put your will and say, I choose to follow Jesus. Have you done that? There is no important, no decision that is more important than that decision. And the scriptures make us wise to salvation. 
And if you're here today and you say, well, I'm just not totally convinced of that this morning, then I challenge you to get out the word of God, start in the gospel of John, and read through the gospel of John. And as you do so, ask God through his word to speak to your heart. The scriptures make us wise for salvation. Secondly, the the scriptures teach us. Look at it down in verse 16. He says, all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable. That word means useful, helpful, beneficial. Is profitable for teaching. Now what do we mean by teaching? It means what we believe. The word of God teaches us what is right, what is sound doctrine. I've said before, I'll repeat to you again, don't believe something just because some preacher on TV or the radio or some preacher who who preaches here or your, your pastor, you don't believe something just because someone says it. You believe it by examining the word of God. Everything comes up against the Word of God. What does the Word of God say? And it teaches us what is right and what is not correct. It's good for teaching. Older translations call it for doctrine, that which we believe. And right now, and for many years in the past, we've had an attitude in the churches and among people that doctrine doesn't really matter. Oh, why can't we all get along? Why can't everybody just be peaceful? I was talking this week to a pastor friend of mine. And their church is going through some problems right now. They're wrestling with some things. And this week he was meeting with a family in the church And the family told the pastor, you know, the the reason we're having problems in the church is because of you. You just can't let things go. And he looked at them and said, well, you have just shared with me, and we agree that our church right now is filled with gossip. And yet no one has followed the Bible, in how we're supposed to deal with someone who has sinned against us. And the family looked at him and says, there you go again, the Bible, the Bible, the Bible. I told him, praise God, the Bible. The Word of God. You know, and at, at times I'll have discussions with people and they will talk to me about how their belief differs from what we believe as a, a church and they'll, they'll say to me, well, you say this is true, but what do you do with my experience? And my response is always this. God hasn't called me to explain your experience. 
Listen, if I were to walk around this morning with a microphone and say, hey, tell me what you have experienced, there'd be some wild stories shared even here this morning. This has been my experience. What do you do with my experience? God didn't call me to do that, but I can tell you this. If I have to choose between your experience and the clear teaching of the Word of God, there's really no choice for me. It's the Word of God. I can remember years ago, I'm pastoring a small church, and we're in a Bible study together, and one of the ladies there uh, started sharing, you know, my grandmother came to me in a dream last night, and she told me, these are the things we need to do. Well, none of those things could have been backed up by the Scripture. And another lady who was in the Bible study looked at me and said, uh, hey, Butch, are you going to tell her or am I going to tell her that that wasn't her grandmother, that was the devil who came to her drink? <laughs> uh, not my job to explain her experience, but what I can explain is what the Word of God teaches us. The Scriptures make us wise for salvation. The Scriptures teach us. The Scriptures reproves us. Now, what is this word reprove? What does it, it mean? It describes the process or action which brings something to the light so which scrutinizes or examines carefully, exposing and setting forth. It is an expression of strong dis approval. The Word of God reproves us. See, one of the reasons people don't read the Scriptures is because they really don't want to obey what the Scriptures say. And so, why do I want to read something that's condemning the way I'm living my life? Well, friends, God gave us His Word so that He might, it might reprove us. Say, hey, you're out of line there. It's not just, hey, would you consider this? Maybe you could act a little differently. Uh, no, to, to me, it kind of reminds me when I was a boy and my dad would take his belt off. Now, I was never beaten or abused as a child, uh, but I was corrected as a child. And I understood very clearly what I had done wrong and how that needed to be corrected. The Bible reproves us, tells us you're wrong in what you're doing and in what you're thinking. And if you've walked very long with Christ, you're going to have that experience in your life where the Spirit of God takes the Word of God and really takes you to the woodshed out back. Because he's letting us know that he doesn't approve of what is going on. I got a short video uh, yesterday. Uh, my grandson, who is like 12 years old, umpired his first baseball game. 
Now, fortunately, it was very small kids. But I'm watching him there, and he's making the call. And as the kid crosses the base, he goes, safe! And it's like very demonstrative in how he's doing it. That's what the Word of God does in our lives. It tells us we're safe, or it tells us we're out. It reproves us. Not only does it reprove us, it also corrects us. Look at verse 16 again. All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction. The word for correction means to make straight. It literally means to take something to straighten it up, to restore something to its original or proper condition. So God doesn't just, through his word, reprove us. He also corrects us. He says, what you're doing is wrong, but now this is how you need to do it. What you're doing is incorrect. Here is the correct way. He corrects us. Not only does he correct us, he also trains us in righteousness. The word of God is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training us in righteousness. Training means to provide instruction. It has the intent of forming proper habits or behavior, providing guidance for responsible living, of rearing and guiding a child toward maturity. It's a broad term signifying whatever a parent or teachers do to correct, cultivate, and educate children in order to help them develop and mature as they might. So the Word of God trains us in righteousness, straightens us out. Not only does it reprove us, but it then tells us after the reproof, this is what it should look like. This is what should have been done. It trains us in righteousness. That's why it's so important for us to be in the Word of God. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2 says, Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. In Hebrews chapter 5, the writer there writes and says, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you. Again, the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good. From evil. See, as we read the Word of God, there's different parts of the Word of God. There are those parts of the Word of God that, are, that the writers refer to as the milk of the Word. They're easily digested. They're easily understood. And typically, one who has just a diet of milk is a baby. So if you're new in your faith, there are books of the Bible I wouldn't recommend that you start out with. 
I wouldn't recommend you start your reading program in the book of Leviticus. Sometimes new believers say, well, I'm just going to start with the New Testament, and I'm going to start with the book of Matthew, and they never get past the genealogy, the first of the book, and they quit. So have some guidance, if you're new in the faith, of where to start. There's the milk of the Word. But as we digest the milk, milk is great for babies. But if someone's 35 years old and they're still carrying around a bottle... I mean, every, every now and then, as I'm out and about, I'll see some kids and I'll think, when are they ever going to get them off the bottle? I mean, they look like they're 16 years old sucking on a bottle. Milk is good for the new believer. But at some point, we need to move beyond the milk. And so there will be just as with a child, you change his diet as he grows. So as believers in Christ, we are able to go to softer foods, and then we are to go to strong meat. Now, vegetarians out there, I, I, we can, I'll say to you, you can move to the fake meat and feel okay <laughs> with it. If, if that... <laughs> Why anyone would want to eat that, I don't know. <laughs> My wife hasn't explained it to me yet. <laughs> so. But the strong meat of the Word of God, as we grow and mature, we are going to be trained in righteousness. And then also it completes us. It completes us. Verse 17, that the Word of God that the man of God may be complete, may be matured, equipped for every good work. And there's the next thing it does for us. It not only completes us, it equips us. It helps us to grow up and to be complete in Christ. So, application this morning. Have you believed the word of God and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. If not, why not? How long, application number two, how long are we spending each day in the Word of God? Do you spend more time in the Word of God today than you did last year? Or that you did five years ago, ten years ago? How long are you spending reading and studying the Word of God. I challenge us to increase that time. After all, what book would be more important than this book for us to read and to study it? And then thirdly, not only reading it, but how are we doing obeying it? When we're reproved, do we respond to that? This is God's word. It is forever settled in heaven. And God has given it to us that we might grow and that we might believe the right things, that we might be mature and complete, equipped to do all that he wants us to do. 
in the midst of the intellectual history era referred to as the entitlement, a philosophy known as deism was sweeping Europe. In the midst of that development, the famous skeptic Voltaire proclaimed that within 25 years the Bible would be forgotten and Christianity would be a thing of the past. However, 40 years after Voltaire's death in 1778, the Bible and Christian literature were being printed in what had once been Voltaire's own house. You think God has a sense of humor in what he does? This book is so important for us in our development as Christians that if we ignore it, we will not grow. It's essential that we read and study this. Let's bow our heads, close in prayer. I just wonder, as we're closing, if the Spirit of God has spoken to anyone's heart this morning. Is there anyone here today, first of all, who says, I need Jesus as my Savior? Anyone at all? You just lift your hand. We will pray for you. I see that hand. You can put it down. Secondly, has God spoken to your heart in a way of reproof or correction in saying that you truly feel and feel convicted today that you need to spend more time in God's Word? If that's the case, I'd ask you to raise your hand so that I might pray for you in the prayer. Thank you. Thank you. You put your hands down all over the place. Father, thank you for your Word. We appreciate you giving it to us. Help us that we will benefit from it by committing ourselves to read it and obey it. In Jesus' name, amen.